people wouldn't say that he was super young, but if you were to ask him, he wouldn't probably say that he was old either. He'd probably say he's in his midlife 40s, perhaps. And this morning, he laid in bed wondering what the day would bring. He wondered if there would be anything different about today than there was yesterday, and the day before that, and the day before that, perhaps even for as long as he can remember. He lied in bed and, and just thought about his life and, and where he had gotten to, and realized they had missed out on so much that he felt rather isolated, that he didn't get to participate in public school or education as others in his community did. As family came in and they, they celebrated holidays and festivities, he wasn't really invited to participate. He doesn't really have a community or a small group that he goes to. And he's laid in bed and said, man, where have I gotten myself? Would anything change today? Or should I expect it to be just like yesterday? In fact, the situation that he has gotten himself into brings a bit of isolation and loneliness. In fact, at some point, he realized that the community views him as an outcast, someone who doesn't really belong. And so he began to view himself as an outcast, as someone who didn't really belong. He got to a point where he recognized that people really didn't look at him anymore. They looked at his predicament and thought, I mean, if, if, I, if I look at him, maybe his predicament would become my predicament. And so he learned not to look at them anymore. Looking at them, not looking back at him, felt like shame. As though he was less than human. And so he learned to kind of just keep to himself. And he lied there all morning in his bed. And he lied there through noon. But at 2.30, some people came in. Whether you call them friends or a neighbor or family, I'm not sure. But people came in to pick him up and take him somewhere. You see, he's, he's a crippled. He's been crippled since his birth. He's never known what it means to run and play, to engage in activities outside his bed. Now, two thirds, people came and picked him up, and where they're gonna take him, they're gonna take him to the community center, and they're gonna place him at the front door because the whole community is about to come in at three o'clock and, and he thought if we could bring him at, at three o'clock and lay him at the front door as this happened most days, that perhaps as the community would come in and, and pass by, someone would be stirred. Maybe it's motivated by guilt, maybe it's compassion, but someone might be stirred to look at his estate and maybe give him a dollar. Perhaps throw a spare coin his way. And so these friends or family or just people who knew him would pick him up and place him at the front door of the community center, hoping that he would receive gifts of alms. And there he would beg. Most would not look at him, and he wouldn't look at them. And he would, he would never feel more alone than when he was surrounded by a lot of people. He never felt more alone and as an outcast than when the community of people were all around because he knew at that point 
they didn't think he belonged. And this question of, am I stuck in this forever? Was his question. How do I get unstuck from this predicament? Is it possible to become unstuck? Is it possible for a new day to come and for things to be different? That's what he wondered. Do you wonder that? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you get stuck? Maybe it's based on your own decisions. Maybe things have happened to you. But news has arrived in some form that, that maybe you're stuck. Now, there are habits that you'd like to break free from, but you can't. I mean, you've tried. You've tried different tips and tricks. But, but no fruit has come from that. And you continue to behave and, and go back to the same habits as you always have. Or you feel the constraints of, of finances on you. Think, how do I get unstuck from my financial predicament? Perhaps news of health has come. And is there any hope that this diagnosis isn't true? You visited doctor after doctor after doctor, and everyone says, this is really your estate. Is it possible to have a different day? than the one we're having today? Is it possible to become unstuck? And when we get stuck, we think that we know our greatest need because we feel what it means to be stuck. And we think, if we could just have this or get that, obtain this or go there, then I could get unstuck. But we've been unable to unstick ourselves. There's something about being stuck that actually limits us from knowing what we need it's why when we're stuck, we go seek outside counsel. We go look for a mentor, someone who has been down this road before. Because we need wisdom. We need guidance. Wisdom is being able to see wider and further and clearer. And actually, we're limited by being stuck. And so what we need is to come to God's word and have God teach us what is our greatest need and how is that satisfied that we can experience transformation in our life this is what acts 3 is all about acts chapter 3 you ready it's quiet it's quiet you guys still with me Woo thanks dad all right chapter 3 verse 1 now peter and john were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. Remember, we've been opening up the book of Acts at the beginning of the church. We've seen the Spirit of God come upon the apostles. Great wonders have been seen on this first day. We've heard the first message ever preached. And here we run into the first miracle. They go back up to the temple where they, where they always go. They've always been going there when they're in Jerusalem. Because the community goes there. There are prayers at 9, noon, and 3. At 6 p.m. And so here is the 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The community gathers at the community center, the temple, to pray. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So here is this man who's been crippled, unable to walk his entire life. When I see these words, that he was lame from birth, my ears perk up a little bit. They didn't always perk up. 
But the reason my ears perk up when I read this today is because my wife and I, we have four kids, and our youngest has a genetic disease from birth. And unless the Lord decides in his kindness or in his will to heal him of that, that will be his predicament his entire life. He'll have it as an infant and as a child, as a young adult, and as an adult. And so I look at this, this words right here, lame from birth, and I think about this family unit. And I think about the prayers that mom has prayed for and that dad has prayed for. And I think about how they've probably loved him. And then I think about so many families here at Calvary who you know this all too well. And I look at how you love your kids that have some of these special needs from the moment they were born. And I look at you and I see my hero. I see people who love selflessly, that are unthanked, that give of themselves every day. And no one knows. No one puts you on a Wheaties box. No one publishes you in the paper. You serve quietly and faithfully. And I am so proud of you. You are inspire me in my own life. But I come to this text and I see this man who's been lame from birth and my heart goes out to him. I know it's probably, he struggled in his being a kid and what that looked like. And then struggling in his adolescence as people getting, you know, going off to school and then then being a young adult and people getting married and none of these dreams were coming for him or for his parents. And he wonders, is this my lot forever? But on this day at three o'clock, he lies at the door to the community center of the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. So his eyes down, he's learned not to look. He's learned that no one really wants him. No no one wants to hear his request. But but he hears of maybe John and Peter going by or sees him from the glance and says, "Would would you give alms? Would you give alms? Would you care for the poor? And Peter and John fix their eyes on him. Look at him. And they see the human being that's there and they come up to him and say look at us look at us put your eyes on us we've put our eyes on you look at us there's no reason not to look at us or look away look at us and he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them but Peter said I have no silver and gold what I do have I give to you In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Here's this man. Thinking today's just going to be like any other day. And he fixed his eyes with Peter and John. And he thinks his greatest need is financial. If you could just spare some change. And it's funny that Peter and John, we just got done with Acts chapter 2, where they're in the community and they're caring for the community and no one has any needs within the community. You would think they would have some gift 
of gold or silver to be able to give to this man. Why do they not give money to this man? It's because they recognize he has a greater need. Now, we could fumble the ball here and think his greater need is to walk, but that's still not his greatest need. We could fumble the ball and think the greatest need is what Peter does for him in the name of Jesus by letting him walk, but that's not his greatest need. We're going to see that his greatest need is to know and encounter Jesus Christ. That's it. That all other needs fall secondary or tertiary to this. Do you know? Have you a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's it. Any other needs that you're trying to address without addressing first and foremost what we do with the name of Jesus Christ is like moving deck chairs around the Titanic. It's all going down. You can rearrange them. Maybe they look prettier, but the end result's the same. And here, this authentic miracle. I mean, Luke is a physician. He's no fool. Luke is a physician. He says, okay, this man, he didn't like learn how to walk. It didn't take time for him to grow muscles, for his ankles to be strengthened. I mean, the man stood up and leaped for joy. Now, Luke is brilliant. Luke is doing something here that we don't quickly pick up on, but, but Luke knows who's going to be reading this, Theophilus and other Jewish people in the area. And he picks up on this and he says, okay, he leaped for joy. He's leaping. And when you read that, their ears are pricked to, well, God has promised, God has foretold the day coming when God has not forgotten about us in our estate, when God will come for Israel and repair and restore. And the beginning of those days has dawned with the arrival of Christ. And they're continuing to happen through the apostles. And so they automatically think about Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, where God foretold of a day of healing that was coming. Here's Isaiah chapter 15, or sorry, chapter 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This, which has been foretold, is being fulfilled in their day. What they had longed for is happening. Now, how is it happening? That's the question. And people begin to put their gaze on Peter and John. Start thinking that they are able to heal this person. That's how probably we would respond. This man was lame from birth. We've known him from birth, and now he's walking. Who is this Peter and John? And so the crowds come to Peter and John. Pick up in verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. Solomon had this beautiful temple and it was destroyed. But what was left was this beautiful balcony that, that sat outside the temple. And here they're gathered in that balcony. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to, sorry, delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by the faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is an amazing thing what Peter and John just do right here. That when the crowds are so impressed with them, when the opportunity for fame and positions of power are presented before them, like, wow, Peter and John, you guys are amazing. We've never seen anything like this. You guys should start a healing ministry. Like P and J, PB and J, I don't know, it'd be cool. We'll get you a website and a building. We'll get crowds there. And, and then you can charge like 1995. And like for every 1995 that comes in, you could heal them. People have, have done that. And the Lord will have harsh judgments who take the works of God and bring the attention to themselves. Here, Peter and John do the opposite. Like, why are you looking here, man? You should not look here. This, we didn't heal him as though our, we have our own power, our own piety, our own life can, can do something like this. No, this man has been healed by one name. One name. And that is the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah of Nazareth, that you knew, that you crucified, that you put to death. And even when Pilate was saying, I find no fault in him, I want to release him. You said, no, don't release him. And Pilate said, well, then I want to release someone because it's, it's a part of our festival in this year to release someone to you. And they said, give us Barabbas. He's a murderer. Give us Barabbas. What do I do with this Jesus? Kill him. Kill him. The God of your fathers, of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, your God, his servant, the one that he promised, Messiah, was this Jesus. What we looked for was fulfilled in Jesus. And he has been raised from the dead. This is the name of Jesus. He gives us four attributes of this name of Jesus here in the text. He calls Jesus servant of God, the righteous one, holy one, the author of life. Righteous one and holy one, I mean, they're used of some patriarchs like Noah, but primarily they're used of God in the scriptures. Like this Jesus is so closely associated with God, that he's God himself that we call him the holy one. He's totally other than us, set apart. He's the righteous one. He's perfect, un, untainted by sin. He is called the author, meaning the authority of life. All of life that you have experienced, enjoyed, tasted, has come from this Jesus. Paul, writing to a church in Colossae, writes about who Jesus is. You want to know who Jesus is? What's, what's in this name of Jesus? Paul tells the church in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, this Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God's like? You just look at Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus, and you get to know who God is, what God's like. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven 
and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's who this Jesus is. He is the one who has created all things. So if you open your Bible, you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the opening pages, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters or the seas. And God said, God said, let there be light. He spoke into creation, into existence, all things, and earth and in heaven. He created by his words. What does John tell us in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word. And the word was God, and the word was with God. This word came and dwelt among us. This word is Jesus. How God created in Genesis 1 was Jesus. In which Paul picks up here in Colossians 1. He is the creator, the author, the authority of all life made. And then he sustains all things. So not only creates all things, he sustains all things. The reason that we have life today is because Christ sustains you. Like, you went to bed last night. I usually take a quick, you know, a, a tight 12 hours or so every night to get some sleep. Perhaps you go sleep for eight. For eight hours. You don't tell yourself to breathe. You don't tell your heart to beat. And yet you're sustained. Every morning we wake up sustained. By what? Biology? By Christ. So he is the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the savior of life, Peter's pointing to. If you miss Jesus, you miss life. I mean, real life. Now, some would say, well, I'm living, and I don't really know Jesus. Yeah, that'd be like living in Canarado and saying you know what it is to live in Colorado. Like, you ever been to Crested Butte and seen the wildflowers? Have you ever seen the waterfalls in Telluride? Have you ever seen Mesa Verde? Have you ever seen Rocky Mountain National Park? No, but I live in Colorado. Dude, you live in Canarado. Like, we're trying to sell that to Kansas, okay? If you don't know Jesus, that's what's like living in Canarado, saying, yeah, I live in Colorado. I have life in Colorado. You have no idea. You have no idea what you're missing out on. Because Jesus is life. Jesus tells us this. This is John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, Jesus said to, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the, I'm the door to eternal life. Everything hinges on this door called Jesus. John 10, 10. He says, okay, if you want to know what it is, who's my adversary? Well, let me tell you about the thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly because I'm the author, the authority of life. Think about it, back to the miracle. What is the miracle? The miracle is breathing life where something has killed or stolen or tried to destroy life. This is why the miracles in the Bible are always life spoken into suffering. Where we experience suffering, where we experience the enemy who tries to kill, steal, and destroy, God shows up and says, I want you to have life. And when I'm going to show up in your, in your world, I want to give life, the fullness of life that you would enjoy. Life, unending, full life. It's found in Jesus. 
which actually leads Peter to get to the climax of this sermon that we're going to finish up with in the weeks to come, which is in chapter 4, about the name of Jesus. This is the name of Jesus. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Which means Buddha does not save you. Muhammad does not save you. Joseph Smith cannot save you. Harry Krishna cannot save you. Republicans cannot save you. Democrats cannot save you. Libertarians cannot save you. And the names associated with them cannot save you. And your name, you, cannot save you. Only one, the author of life, and his name is Jesus. That's our greatest need. It's not financial. It's not physical. It is to be forgiven and brought into eternal life by the name of Jesus. That's it. And so Peter goes on talking about, well, then what's our response then? How do we get the name of Jesus? If, we, if we're the ones who have acted in ignorance, what do we do now? And so pick up in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Like, this isn't something new, this is something fulfilled. He promised this moment, and has been fulfilled in Christ. And then he had to suffer at the hands of, maybe your ignorance, but this is according to the scriptures. Remember at the very end, in Matthew chapter 26, we're just in the garden, and the, the authorities have come to take him. And one of the disciples, we just kind of maybe assume it's Peter, because Peter's a wild man. Peter would do what I did. And he, he pulls out a sword, and he chops off one of the soldier's ears. And Jesus grabs the ear and puts it back on the soldier, and then rebukes the disciple, like, what are you doing, man? Like, do you think I need your help? I, I could call on my heavenly Father, and he would send legions of angels to come and rescue me. And this is what he tells the disciples. This is Matthew chapter 26. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus is here to fulfill what has been spoken about the days to come. That's why he's faithful. That's why we trust him. And so he says, okay, how else would this be fulfilled? Verse 19 now, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What's your response of, of hearing the name of Jesus, seeing this miracle in front of you? This miracle exists to draw the attention to the name of Jesus. And by drawing the attention to the name of Jesus is to authenticate and give the authority of that name. The apostles don't go out in their own name. They go out in the name of Jesus. And we'll see that all the way through Acts. The name of Jesus. This is why we, we gave the title to the book of Acts. If you were here week one, week two, we've been saying, this is the works of Jesus. The acts of Jesus continued on. 
The acts of Jesus through the Spirit, by the disciples. That's what we're seeing here. The same Jesus who was performing miracles in the Gospels is now the same Jesus performing miracles by the Spirit through the, through the apostles. So Luke, remember Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And here this miracle parallels another miracle. Remember all the way back in Luke chapter 4? There was a miracle of a paralytic. Remember this? And his friends wanted to bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. And they came to this house where Jesus was teaching, but it was so filled with people that they actually went up on the roof. Remember this? And they, and they cut a hole in the roof and they, and they lowered this paralyzed man who has been paralyzed from birth at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing his estate, seeing where he's stuck, says to him, your sins are forgiven. Oh, my sins are forgiven? How about walk, man? Like his greatest need is to walk. No, 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 he doesn't understand his greatest need. Like you don't understand his greatest need. If this man's going to experience real life, unending, full life, just healing his legs doesn't help. So he says, your sins are forgiven. And those around begin to murmur. And they say, well, how does this Jesus say that he can forgive sins? That's blasphemy. Only God, only the one who is God can forgive sins. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, turns to them and says, okay, is it easier for me to say, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven? Well, it's probably easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't really authenticate that. But so that you know that I have the authority, Jesus says, to forgive sins, I say to this man, take your mat and walk. And immediately he stood up, gathered his mat, and walked out in front of him. That whole miracle exists for one purpose, to show the authority of Jesus to forgive sins. That's the point of Acts 3. That's what Luke's showing again. The same ministry continues in the name of Jesus. But it's the name of Jesus. All ministry comes under the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name above his church. And then the only name that matters here is the name of Jesus Christ. No name on the platform. No name on a podcast. No name of a ministry leader matters. Except for the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus is the character of who he is, of all that he is. And to come under the name of Jesus, to come into the kingdom, into his influence, and his kingdom is called life. And how we enter that kingdom is simply, as Peter says, friends, repent. It means turn away. At the very end, here's, here's Acts chapter 3, verse 26. The last verse says, God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Repentance is turning from your wickedness. How have we been living apart from him? And then turning to Jesus and saying, I want to live for Jesus. I want my life to honor the name of Jesus. That's repentance. I come under the name of Jesus and live for him. And this was so great. I don't know about you, but I read this and say, okay, he's speaking to the people that put Jesus to death. Now, if you're watching a good Hollywood movie, and so people show up and, and betray somebody and maybe like, maybe don't kill him or maybe he comes back from the dead or maybe they're cast off to an island and put in jail for many years, Monte Cristo, anyone? And you come back, what is your attitude towards those who betrayed you? Vengeance, baby. Like, I'm gonna get them. And if you are listening to Peter, you might think, is it vengeance for us? Is he coming after us? He is, but not in vengeance. It says return to him 
that times of refreshing would come to you. Return to him and repent that blessing would come to you. That life would come to you. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior. So that means that no one is beyond the grace of Christ. I don't know what you did. You wouldn't you didn't kill Jesus, okay? And for those who put him on the cross, I mean, I know, like, yeah, our sin put him on there, okay, so hold on, but you weren't there, you weren't these people by your hand. If by their hands they crucified Christ, and Christ's attitude to them is, I'm coming to you first, not in vengeance, but to refresh you, and bless you, and love you. If that's the grace he has for them, there is no one in this room beyond the grace of Christ. I don't care what you have done. The Lord wants to call you home so that he can refresh you, bless you, and bring you to eternal life. That's what, that's what we get. So in the name of Jesus, we say that he's a servant, he's a holy one, the righteous one, he's the author of life. And in Christ, this is our reward. This, these four things that we see here in the text. We see our sins, past, present, and future, completely blotted out. We're totally forgiven. That's freedom. So we find forgiveness, we find blessing, refreshment and life real life it's eternal it begins now and lasts forever what do you do with this name Jesus it's the only question that matters your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven and to be brought into seasons of refreshment and blessing and life and that only happens by the name of Jesus taking the name of Jesus on your life what other names have you tried to live by? Have you tried to find your hope and salvation in? Or your identity in? Your satisfaction in? What other names are those? Are those company names? Product names? Are they your name? Here's the name that meets us in our deepest need and gives us what we need. It's the name of Jesus. That's it. And what you do with the name of Jesus all that matters. All that. If you don't know what it is to, to know Christ, to know Jesus, I would love to meet with you. I'm down here in the front. You can grab one of those connect cards in front of you and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And someone's going to be in contact with you. For many in the room, like you've been living away from Christ for so long, and then you're coming back to Jesus for the first time. You might want to just click that box. I, I'm, I'm returning. I'm rededicating my faith to Jesus. And, and we'd love to reach out and, and help you with those next steps. And we have our prayer team in the front here. If something's going on where you're stuck, and you're wondering, can God do anything about this? Come down and talk to the prayer team that you would experience uh, the prayers and the name of Jesus in your life. But let me pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you for the name of Jesus that we are saved. Lord, I pray that you would draw all the hearts of women and men in this room to yourself. And then, Lord, would you give them refreshment and blessing would you heal parts of their life in your name would you heal marriages and families as they come to you and then may we leap for joy and sing praises to God that the one who foretold fulfilled and is trustworthy it's in the name of Jesus we pray this amen